Future Now, Future Next, in association with ESB. Be part of a brighter future with ESB. Welcome to RTE's Future Now, Future Next, with me, Andy O'Donoghue. In this series, we explore how technology is changing how we live now and how it will revolutionise our future world. The COVID-19 pandemic has created the largest disruption of education systems in history. A report by the United Nations states that this disruption has affected nearly 1.6 billion learners in more than 190 countries across all continents. Closures of schools and other learning spaces have impacted 94% of the world's student population and up to 99% in low and lower middle income countries. The crisis is exacerbating pre-existing education disparities by reducing the opportunities for many of the most vulnerable in our society. On the other hand, this crisis has stimulated innovation within the education sector. We have seen how educators and students alike have adapted in a highly agile way to virtual learning. But these changes have also highlighted that the promising future of learning and the accelerated changes in modes of delivering quality education cannot be separated from the imperative of leaving no one behind. In this episode, we meet Professor Anne Looney from DCU, Dr Shane Bergen from UCD and Marianne Checkley of Kamara, Ireland. And we'll discuss some of the key drivers and challenges facing education in the future, including the impact of technology, the digital divide in learning and how technologies like AI will change how we learn and what we'll be learning for. Anne Looney, who's Executive Dean, Institute of Education at DCU. Anne, thanks so much for being here. Not at all. Looking forward to it and looking forward to looking into the future. And I have to ask you, over the last year or so, um, technology has become an in increasingly important part, both in work lives and in the lives of students and teachers. Does this mean that technology really is an integral part of education from now on? I think it does. What's happened in the last year, I think, has probably accelerated what was happening already. And whereas schools, primary schools, post-primary schools, and even early childhood settings had all begun to integrate technology in classrooms, it was still very slow and steady rather than transformational. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of evidence from, from teachers in particular and from students that on, whatever about online learning might be okay for adults or returning learners, but you couldn't really do it in school. Turns out you certainly can do quite a good chunk of it in second level schools. And we were even managing some kind of online engagement in early years. Now, whether that delivers a quality educational experience for all learners. But there's no doubt about it now that very quickly schools got their Wi-Fi working, found laptops, they borrowed, they borrowed uh, tablets from everywhere. But, but, but uh, what has happened in the last year has probably just, yeah, we've, we've, turned, we've turned a corner and we're in a new space now for sure. So we have technology as sort of tools within the education system, which is interesting. And People are familiar with tablets, um, tablet learning, 
and using laptops. But that's what we've been doing for a few years now. That isn't new. But what about if you were to look five, 10, even more years into the future? What about the evolving wearable technology, artificial intelligence? Do, does newer technology have a role in education? So for, for me, I think that's probably the area that I find most exciting. Um, our I'm at DCU, as you mentioned, and DCU is also part of the consortium, one of Ireland's largest SFI centres, the Insight Centre, which is for a centre for data analytics. And its CEO, Noel O'Connor, is based here at, at DCU. And so we have a, a, a real opportunity now to bring the education researchers and the AI researchers together. And we're learning from each other. And what I'm beginning to learn from them and listening to them present to us is just the potential of this. You know, the Fitbit that we're wearing now that tells us, one, we're alive, two, we're moving, what our heartbeat is. You can, you can then get to tell, it, it can tell you whether you've eaten too much, whether you've drunk too much. It can take your blood pressure and your heart and all those things now we expect from those health wearables. What about if they were able to tell you how well you were learning, how well you were paying attention? What about at the end of a day's session with, you know, in a university or in a school, for example? What about you were able to share the data with your parents or your family as to rather than how far did you walk and what was the incline? What did you learn and how difficult it was and what were you challenged by? And I think that is really exciting because it means that for learners, you're going to get access to quick feedback. For, for teachers, you're going to get access to insights into how particular groups are learning. And, and I think it has a, a, it has a great deal of potential. I don't think it's going to replace, and I think this is, this is I think, one of, the, one of the myths about artificial intelligence, because people see, they see it as artificial, and they forget that the human word, intelligence, is attached to it. So what it is, is the enhancement of human intelligence. You know, someone has to read that, someone has to share it. And I think it has enormous potential uh, for learning into the future. I think there's some exciting, uh, some exciting, time, exciting times ahead on it. I mean, from, a, a, you know, as a, as a user of, um, of Gmail, for example, I'm already used to the machine telling me how to write my emails and, and asking me, do I want to insert things? But I think as we look forward, even for our youngest children who are now, who we want to play well, read well, count well, I think there is enormous potential there in kind of wearables or um, or, or AI that could really uh, open things up into the future. And I think it's a, it's a brave new world. I think there's lots of ethical issues to think about. I think we have to consult with learners as we think about how that works. But that's where I think we have great potential here at DCU to work with the Insight Centre on that. And speaking of insights, so the feedback or the output from, say, the use of machine learning or artificial intelligence, I think um, you've outlined how that could be feedback for students, that could be feedback for teachers or for parents. But what about, um, say, the evolution of the curriculum? Does the use of machine learning and AI enable us to um, make the curriculum perhaps a more dynamic form? I, I think there's, 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 there's some potential there as, as well. You know, I think if, for example, if you, uh, we're very, we, we, we have a seminar on here uh, this evening at DCU on, uh, um, on outdoor learning and out the outdoor classrooms and using outdoor spaces, a, a big part of trying to come back to school in the, in the pandemic. So, but if you're, if you're wearing some kind of, 
you know, the, the learning Fitbit for the want of a better word. And you come into school on a Monday and you're able to share with the teacher where where you were. So just like children come in and say, what well, you know, my news, the, the embarrassing revelations of your domestic life laid bare for teachers everywhere. But if that news then was accompanied by being able to share the map of where you were, which park you were in, what did you do there, right? What, what, what did you use in the playground? Was it a circle? Was it a square? To begin to bring the experience in, I think that's, uh, that has enormous potential because it can tell a teacher where, where the students were, what they did. And we're even seeing it now when, when uh, children go on school trips and they go into museums and galleries. You know, they do things like take photographs and share them. Uh, they will make recordings when they're in there. But galleries and museums are actually way ahead in tagging artifacts already with, with connections that kids can download, Bluetooth connections, and then that information comes back. So I think there's there's incredible potential. There's incredible potential there. And if you think too of the diversity of learners that teachers face now, you know, the contemporary classrooms have have um, from from students who maybe have additional learning needs that require extra support to students who have additional learning needs. And you've the full range in front of you as a teacher, particularly in primary schools. Every group is learning. Are the girls learning as well as the boys? What's appealing to the girls? Do those three or four kids who are have who are on the autism spectrum? Am I am I am I connecting with them? Well, you could really begin to get fine grained information that you could never get from the ten word spelling test. We'll always have ten word spelling tests. I think there's a place for them, but I think the potential for what else we, we might be able to get into the future, I think that could be that could be really significant. And what has the application of technology, the Zoom call and the Teams call, what has that technology shown us about where where people can learn? Um, children we know have been keen to get back to classrooms, but has it exposed the potential for um, remote, even multinational uh, global interactions or collaborations? Uh, do you think there's room for that? We know that it can connect people. We know that it was successful at, at connecting uh, teachers to students. Why were they anxious to get back? I think schooling is premised on a, a kind of a trade-off. This can be upsetting for teachers to hear, but most kids go to school to be with their friends, you know, and uh, and the learning comes next. It's it's the connections, you know. I, I manage a, a primary school here on the campus. I'm chair of the board of management of St. Patrick's Boys National School and the, the junior classes are back and they were they were walking past me, going from one one ventilated room to the other. And I said to the principal, God, those boys really look like they would much rather be at home. And they were <laughs> they were doing the the junior infant fingers on your and one one guy looked at me in horror and just went no, I don't want to be at home. Um, because, because the learning is collaborative and it happens between. And our traditional view of the teacher as the sage on the stage, there's always a place for that. There's a place for the guide on the side as well, the person who's going to create the collaboration, help the students make sense of things. Even if students come to be where in, we're in the world of wearables, they need to understand, decipher. And these are the things that teachers do well, I think. The role of the educator, the teacher, the guide on the side, the sage on the stage, or as someone described it as the meddler in the middle, the person who helps you make sense of it all, I think that was really highlighted. I think students really missed their teachers and they missed each other. 
And we know that for social and emotional development, those connections were extremely important and no wearable technology is going to be able to replace that. And, and I think schools, you know, people talk about the end of schooling. Eventually, you know, who needs Google? Who needs schools when you've got Google? And the answer is everybody, <laughs> because you are going to still need connection. I can see it in our own students, you know, on the one hand uh, within the university, not having to travel to campus. Uh, was a bonus for a while. You know, they were saving on money. They were saving on commuting times. They were able to access everything at home. But my God, at this stage now, they just want to get out of their rooms and get back onto campus uh, to be with each other, to be with us. And also, there comes a point where you're absorbing so much online. And we've all had that Zoom kind of exhaustion. You're absorbing so much online. You, you know, and even if we do facilitate a discussion with you, it is limited. I can't see your body language. I can't see how you're feeling about this as a as a teacher. And I think we all we all miss that. So I don't think one will replace the other, but I think there's really opened up new possibilities, global connections, um, and the opportunities to to interact even across time zones. I think that's been a real benefit, but with limits. And you use the phrase "guide on the side." And it, it sounds to me, in a sense, like you're talking about almost moderation, um, the proliferation of information. Um, you know, yes, we're familiar with Wikipedia and search results, but over the next 10 years, surely um, there's an incredible job to be done by teachers um, in relation to helping students become more discerning about their information sources, um, not just news, but also even the educational, the scientific elements. That's a huge task, not just for teachers, but but for society, developing that critical that critical edge. The job of the teacher is to ensure that students develop the ability to evaluate information. Now, criti- cri- uh, critics of that approach and critics of me would say that, you know, well, what about the role of knowledge? You need to have disciplinary knowledge. Of course, I'm not suggesting that you don't. In fact, one of the ways you develop a critical edge is actually to understand how a particular discipline or field is structured. You need to know the different kinds of knowledge. You need to know that they're connected. So you you definitely need uh, to be able to master the skills of literacy, the skills of numeracy, because they're the building blocks on which you build your critical critical, um, and analytical tools. But that is so important. I think one of the hard lessons we, we need to learn, maybe we learned a little bit during the last while, but I even see it in student teachers, is that sometimes the search for the right answer closes down your, your, your critical lens. Really, you're filtering out everything, just looking for the right answer to the question. And sometimes the biggest learning comes from when you make the wrong answer. Not just because you learn from your mistakes and you go back and break down how you got there. But sometimes the wrong answer can take you off in a completely different direction. Um, as teachers, we have to, and I see it in our student teachers, because we, uh, they, they, we, we have to maybe un, help them unlearn a little bit the need to have the, the very right answer that results in the teacher saying, good girl, good boy, instead of saying, you know, to a student who delivers the wrong answer, well, now, that's interesting. How did you arrive at that? How did you arrive at that answer? What's it telling us about what you thought? So I think that's an important part of developing a critical disposition. We know that it's really important to teach discernment, 
to teach the ability to critically evaluate and to be honest I think us uh, as adults we also we also we also need to have that as well in relation to big tech and we've mentioned a couple of the technology firms who are currently involved in education both in very direct and indirect ways it's easy for us in a sense to be skeptical sometimes of big tech and you know sell products to make money and harvest data to sell ads but do you think teachers need to interact with big tech to help shape the tools of the future? Well, I, me- I mentioned already uh, our work with, with, with Insight, which works very closely with industry, you know, in terms of, sh- in terms of trying to sh- shape where we go with AI and, 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 and teaching with our students and in Ireland and some of the exciting projects where we're just beginning to scope out here. Here in, in DCU, we're really proud of we have a Minecraft studio here that our teachers learn game-based, they use it to learn how to do game-based learning in primary schools because game-based learning and especially Minecraft is key to developing computational skills. And, and we have that with the, with the support of Microsoft. We have a Lego studio that has helped us prepare our teachers to work in those kinds of, in those kinds of environments. So partnerships with big tech are already helping us to get ready for for the future. I think it is important that those relationships between tech companies, schools and education are based on a a parity of esteem. We're getting something from the relationship with the companies who work with us and and they're also getting something. There's something, uh, there's a a partnership there. So I think that works. On the other hand, I think there is uh, teachers in schools have a concern when children, when very young children are being presented as just customers and their parents as customers. And perhaps as we move forward, there's a need to, to see us all more in a, in a partnership that respects um, an ethic where we all have something to learn here. And to be honest, in the last few months, were it not for the support of companies, for example, in supporting people in, in getting additional uh, um, technology, even within the university, you know, to, to, to assist in giving students who didn't have access to devices. Uh, they really they really stepped up and, and helped, as did, as did government, and government has partnerships with, with big tech as well. Um, data security, I know, is a, is a big issue for people and continues to be a big issue for people. I, I also forgot to mention, we've got the anti-bullying centre here that works closely with Facebook on how artificial intelligence may actually help us detect cyberbullying, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have those kind of partnerships. So uh, maybe that's the key word, partnership. I'm sure there are people who say you're very naive there and because, you know, these are giant global giants and you're just a bunch of educators. I think that uh, human scale technology, small partnerships, the opportunity to to build research alliances that can be quite small in scale, like the one we, ha- we have here in, in, in DCU around artificial intelligence. I think those uh, those kind of human scale interactions um, can be as important as those those giant uh, those giant corporate ones. And as we look forward into a world where the work environment is completely changing, a very heavily focused digital economy, maybe a four day week for some people or for many people. Um, how does education need to change? And I don't just mean the specific subjects, but how does education need to change? to educate people for a rapidly changing workplace? 
Um, I think the key, and again, just reflecting on the last year, what, what are the words that people have been using uh, in thinking about how they responded to the fact that some people were working, had to move to working at home. Some people had to move to not working. Some people had to move to part-time working. Some people had to, to change their entire model of business. What are the words? The words are resilience, personal resilience and group resilience, agility, the ability to change really quickly, and imagination, the ability to actually think outside the box. I hate to use that cliche, but it is about can you think about something differently? And those three competences, uh, coupled with, I think, a strong ethical sense, a sense that whatever you're doing, however you're changing, you're also looking to do the right thing, to keep sustainability front and center. I think those are the four, the, that, is that four? Am I forgetting basic numeracy? Resilience, agility, imagination, and, uh, and ethics. Those four things, I think they're going, they're going to be the new pillars of education going forward. I think technology, artificial intelligence will enable that, can enable it if we do it well. Um, but I think looking to the future, this is the pandemic of 2020 and 21. There's, there's going to be something that will happen in 23 and 24, whether it's a climate crisis, whether it's a, a, a human migration crisis, whether it is a disease crisis, whatever. We're, we're in the world, we're in a living in, a, in a, an era of uncertainty. And our education system used to like to give people certainty. You would, you know, you were educated to walk in the footsteps of your parents, to do the jobs they did, you know. Um, and now those footsteps are washed away by the, by the time you're even a- able to find them. So I think those are the kind of competence that we need to, we need to focus on. And that means that things like uh, career guidance in schools needs to focus on those four elements rather than saying, Here's where the jobs are, because by the time you get there, the jobs won't be there anymore. Anne Looney, Executive Dean, Institute of Education at DCU. Thanks so much. You're listening to Future Now, Future Next in association with ESB. ESB, creating a brighter future for all. On this episode of Future Now, Future Next, we're discussing the future of education. And I'm delighted now to be joined by Dr. Shane Bergen, physicist and assistant professor in science education at UCD's School of Education. Hello, Shane. Thanks for joining us. Nice to talk to you, Andy. Shane, over the last 12 months, we've seen an interesting change in education, despite the fact that technology has been a great tool and aid for education over decades. Have we embraced it? too quickly and maybe too much? I think now is perhaps one of the best times ever to talk about the future of education because so much has changed in the last year. Um, and I, I feel we, we have precipitated a conversation that has, um, has long been necessary. Um, education and the funding of education um, ha- has really been in crisis for some time, uh, particularly in the West. Um, and in the last year, um, we've all been scattered to, to our homes and learning has been virtual and for some, for some virtual in every sense, imaginary. Um, and I think technology has been fantastic. Without it, um, our children and young people would have been completely disconnected uh, from schooling. However, it has highlighted uh, some of the limitations uh, of technology. And I suppose it has emphasised the importance of some of the fundamentals in education, uh, some of the the really key things that are essential to learning. 
and for me at the very heart of that is relationships um, education comes down to forming relationships between learners and between the teacher and the learners and technology if we're, if we're learning over zoom or other apps I suppose technology has to try and replicate the human uh, relationship uh, if, if it's going to work and I suppose uh, for, for, for yourself and those listening we want to think about how how real are our friendships over zoom compared to meeting someone for a coffee or a drink or meeting them for for dinner like how authentic are those experiences for us in every other aspect of our lives and i would say that that carries carries perhaps even more so for our educational lives that's an interesting point that you make about you know how things have become scattered because it makes me wonder about the physical presence of students learning together so over time do you think how will that impact the curriculum and even self-determined learning i suppose we can see that there is a huge amount of flexibility possible in education and uh, we, we still operate in almost that sort of, you know, early 20th century mode of we have to show up and all be in the same place at the same time, because that's all that was available in the past. So technology does facilitate a more flexible approach to learning. Um, I, I think that's very fair. However, I would say that uh, we, we shouldn't assume because we can connect with each other via the Internet or, or via like, you know, your telephone that that is in any way an authentic replacement for getting together and and learning together. I think a, a technology tends to assume that learning is an individual enterprise, something that you can do by downloading as opposed to discussing. Um, and so I think that it, it, it is very much up to technology and, and those who work in that area to demonstrate its, its versatility and uh, to demonstrate how it can um, how, it, how it can approach the, the real life experience. And as an educator, I, I would be very hesitant to move away from what works um, and um, what has been shown to work just because we have a shiny new toy. The Programme for Government commits to establishing a Citizens' Assembly on the Future of Education at primary and secondary level and also promises a new digital education strategy. What are your thoughts on this? I, I see um, the Citizens' Assembly as having huge um, uh, potential, particularly in the areas of assessment um, in, in Ireland. I think, you know, the, the Leaving Cert has long uh, passed its, its, its sell-by date. So the Leaving Cert uh, ran every year since 1925, except for 2020 and potentially 2021. So I think this is a good time for us to say, well, we, we've not used it for a year or two. Is it the best way to, to assess learning at the end of, of our second level? And is it the best idea that we can kind of connect that to entry to third level? Should we disconnect those things? How could we do it better? What would alternatives look like? And do you think there's a place for personalised learning in the future? Can um, a very active assessment process um, create almost a custom learning model that might make for a better outcome? Well, I suppose that presupposes that we all know what the outcome of education is and that education is an end in itself. I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I would see education as a process and an, a kind of an uncovering, a continuous discovery, as it were. So um, I, I think your question kind of hints at the, the dominance of a content-led education system as well, 
where we go to school or to university to acquire a lot of information or skills. Um, and, and each of those has their place. However, it isn't the, it isn't the entirety of, of education. So there are softer skills and there are other things like thinking critically or being creative or imagining yourself different. Um, uh, you know, the, the, these are complex things that happen in education as well. And so as to your point about individualized learning, um, Somebody asked, re- asked me recently, did you always want to be a teacher? Did you always want to be a scientist? And I, was, I kind of laughed and smiled at it. It's like, I thought, no, I had no idea where I was going to end up. And so like, um, I, I couldn't go back to the nine-year-old me and tell them, this is what you need to do to become a university lecturer or to, you know, to go on and do something else. Um, I, I would, I, 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 I suppose, um, point to the the gift of the interval that education is and that when it's done well it it opens up endless possibilities for you um and it doesn't have to define you or curtail you in any way i think of our education system at the moment unfortunately as a narrowing process so we start off being generalists in primary school and as we move through second level we pick subjects that focus us and we move on to university that focuses more and then we move into a career according to that and it's a very utilitarian view and it's extremely limiting for us and our humanity that's an interesting point that you make about you know subjects and i i suppose even perhaps we could use the word proficiency is what we try to achieve so the outcome of education used to be either a job or getting a college place but the workplace is changing jobs are changing and new skills are required but i suppose the question i'd like to ask you is education is it now about preparing for work or preparing for life i would say that education is living so when when we are young we dedicate most of our sort of non-home life to to education and and what a great privilege that is but it is also a right uh, for us to to have that experience so we can think differently so we can stretch ourselves um, um and and ultimately we can be better citizens um in 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 our in our democracy that's very important so that um education can prepare us for a life of work but it prepares us for much more than that and we must be careful that we don't we don't just see it as a preparation for work or as michael d higgins said as as a way for us to be useful um, i i think we have to re- reject that sort of thinking and we have to embrace the possibilities in education it sounds though however like the, the way i'm talking is quite wishy-washy and so sort of well what's it for um, the same thing can be said about things like art and music and, and other sort of non-concrete things. It's very easy for us to just dismiss them and say, well, we can't measure that. So therefore, it has no value. Um, and, and I think we do that at our peril. We have to be really, really careful. Um, and when I think about the future of education in those terms, I think what we have now and what technology can facilitate is that we have ways to talk to each other. And um, we, we could imagine having conversations about education now and in the near future so that we can we can better imagine what education could be for people who are born today, who are going to live well into the 22nd century. Um, so we, we have to be adaptable. We have to be creative. Uh, we, we mustn't be held back by the way things have gone in the past, but neither should we just jump forward for the sake of it. Of course, we now live in a very globalised and socialised world. And I'm wondering if there's a place in the future of education for remote learning, but 
in parallel between countries? You know, will children be able to collaborate not just with people in their classroom or in their neighborhood, but with other students around the world? No, I don't think so. And the the proof of that would be, I think that an excessive use of technology is quite individualistic, not socializing. And the evidence of that for me would be that why do the big tech companies wish to build campuses that model university campuses? If, if their model worked, they wouldn't have to work together. They wouldn't have to come to, to huge campuses that are being built in the city centre at massive expense. Um, so they, they've, caught, they've, they've caught on to what schools and universities have been doing for centuries, which is when you bring people together in a local environment, um, that, that's when socialisation happens. Uh, and that's a rich learning environment. I would say an exclusive use of the online, of the technological, is individualizing and polarizing. So we see that um, commentary uh, in, in the current era is quite toxic. You can go online and find people in your tribe and you can, you can, you can delve deeper into those murky worlds. And I suppose th- that is exactly the opposite of what education should be where you can safely try on other identities and see what they're like and kind of then step away from them. So um, I'm, I'm familiar with lots of people who, when I was in college with them, were, were like signed up communists and now might be members of mainstream political parties. So, um, you know, I, like that, that sort of trying on of an identity was very important for them. And I, I wouldn't see a, a technological world facilitating that because we, we have huge digital memories now where, you know, something you've said 15 years ago could be dragged up and, and said, well, what do you think about that? That you, you made a comment uh, 25 years ago in a class. Um, so I, I would see um, we're at a crossroads. We can use technology in service to education where it is pedagogically informed, but just because we could go online and, and learn in a classroom with a person from Korea or from South America or Australia, like doesn't mean it's going to be any richer than going on um, and sitting in a room with somebody from Albriggan and Bray, you know? Um, and, and that's not to sound xenophobic. It's it's just to say that it is the getting together. It is the, the communal um, enterprise that is rich in education. Dr. Shane Bergen, physicist and assistant professor in science education at UCD's School of Education. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. On this episode of Future Now, Future Next, we're discussing the future of education. Kamara Ireland trains and supports educators to use technology so that they can inspire young people to master 21st century learning skills. And I'm delighted to be joined by Marianne Checkley of not-for-profit Kamara Ireland. Marianne, thanks for being with us. Thanks, delighted to be here. We've seen over the last year mass adoption of homeschooling, but... It's been difficult. Some people haven't had good broadband and then in some houses there might be three children and just one laptop, one desktop. How have parents managed through this? I think everyone has done an amazing job to try and keep young people and students and children connected to to education. Um, Teachers have worked really hard to upskill and I think parents have done an incredible job in terms of juggling um, home circumstance. Uh, so it's it's been a year now, though, like we're, we're almost up to exactly a year, I think, in terms of school closures. And if we look at digital access as one example, like we know that we did a few surveys um, in the course of the year 
And up to 70% of students in DESH schools, so that's disadvantaged schools who have that, that designation, uh, had a, a lack of access to broadband or a suitable learning device. So just to give uh, a, an idea of what that means, there's about 200,000 pupils attending DESH schools around the country. So that's 70% of those. Um, and that's just one group, you know, like, I mean, as you pointed out there, it's this issue wasn't just about uh, disadvantage, you know, how many people at home have maybe five or six laptops uh, and have access to that, you know, so it became clear very quickly that really um, to be able to make sure that there was a, a sense of connectedness and a sense of continued learning going on that everybody had to work together to make that happen. But I think without doubt, we are going to see over the next one, three, five years, the impact of the last year in terms of learning outcomes. Is there a real danger that a digital skills gap will disadvantage younger children? So in terms of the, uh, let's say the how of learning, there's a, a lot of schools uh, that don't have equal access to resources. So to be able to, to create and develop enhanced learning environments using technology. Um, and this isn't to say that uh, learning or teaching and learning has to be all about screens or digital or anything like that. It's about really enhancing a learning environment to bring all the good things that we know about education uh, and what works uh, just to make that happen. So there's a, a gap in terms of what really well-resourced schools can do and what under-resourced schools can do. And that impacts on, on students then who attend those schools in terms of their achievement uh, and their achievement rates. When it comes to the, the what of learning then, uh, we're talking about digital skills and, and technology access. There's, again, there's, there's a really growing gap between um, who goes on and who progresses maybe to a career in IT or who progresses to a career in technology or, or STEM related uh, role. Um, and, you know, we, we're all familiar with traditional, uh, traditional um, professions maybe or traditional gaps where we know there's a certain socioeconomic profile when it comes to who maybe is a doctor or a lawyer or those kind of professions and and that's starting to become very clear as well uh, in in technology so there's a, a huge amount of young people out there who don't have they don't have reference points in the first mm. instance to what a, a career in tech might look like um, they don't have the access to the opportunity to maybe spark their interest in that career. Uh, and also, you know, like to, to take a, a term maybe um, from, from other sectors, like there's, there's talent is everywhere, but opportunity isn't, mm. you know. So I think we really have a lot of work to do to make sure that one, you, every young person has the opportunity to fulfill their potential, uh, but two, that as a community and as a society, that, that we encourage a diverse range of talents into these sectors, because this is the kind of technology and software that we're consuming every day. Marianne, for the last year, kids have been looking at each other and looking at teachers through a screen, and it's been a tough year on them. Do you think they'll start 2022 with a different view of the world and perhaps each other? It's an interesting question. It's a, it's a really good question. Has it changed children? Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think there's a few ways of looking at it. One is that I'm not sure we evolved that quickly that uh, a year 
consuming information through screens or, or learning through screens means uh, some kind of massive shift in terms of what our perceptions might be. Uh, however, I mean, I, depending on the age of the child or the age of the young person as well, I think that's another consideration there. Uh, I think what it probably has done is it's, it's really highlighted uh, some things that as a society that we became a little bit complacent about and that's one is a digital divide so you've a lot of young people who like an assumption that everybody's on a screen or everybody even has a smartphone is isn't correct really you know so I think what it has brought to the forefront is is a digital divide and who maybe has had the comfort to be able to do that in the first instance uh, the other thing that's for sure is going to be uh, a, a, an issue that uh, we're all going to, as adults, we're all going to need to address is the consuming of information um, and the ability as a key skill is going to become essentially the ability to filter information um, and what's fake news, what's not, um, and the ability to form opinion in, an, in a very informed way. There is no replacement for uh, relationships in education and learning you know it, it's human um, and I think this is what we need to keep at the forefront and any decisions or any vision that we shape for the future of education and learning has to be human and that's what has to lead any use of technology. Apart from the obvious requirement for hardware in schools Marianne how do we improve digital literacy generally over the next five years to get the best outcomes possible? Invest really in educator competency. So to make sure that all teachers uh, are confident uh, and competent in the use of technology and the application of technology. Uh, I think it, it's not necessary that they need to be experts in it, but certainly they need to be very confident in facilitating the use of technology in the classroom. Marianne Checkley, CEO of Kamara Education Ireland. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Well, that's it for this episode of Future Now, Future Next. See you next time. Join us next time for Future Now, Future Next in association with ESB. ESB, leading the way to a brighter future for all.